Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. This is a Living Clean Study for the Anonymous Podcast. This is episode 45. I'm going to begin on page 155, at the bottom with miracles do happen. But first, we're going to give our introductions. Jennifer W., jump in and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jennifer and I'm an addict. Um, my clean date is November 27th, 1992, and I attend meetings in Sacramento, California. Thanks, Jen. What's up, Lisa? Hey, my name's Lisa. I'm an addict. My clean date is to 2512. My home group is Monday Night Miracles in Meadville, PA. I attend meetings in Northwestern PA. Thanks, Lisa. What's up, Barb? Hi, Douglas. I'm Barbar in the Panhandle of Florida. My clean date is October 4th, 1995. My home group is an open mind, a hybrid meeting on Monday nights. Thanks, Barb. What's happening, Eva? Hi, everybody. Eva P. Um, my clean date is 6-10-2000. My home group is Do It Hard, Tuesday night, 6 o'clock uh, here in Salem, Oregon. All right, thanks, Eva. What's up, Lee? Hi, my name is Paul M. Uh, I'm an addict. I, my clean date is January 6, 1995. I have 10,000 days clean today. And I uh, attend meetings in New Orleans, Louisiana, and my home group is Open Mind as well. All right, thanks. What's up, Lee? Hey, thanks, Douglas. I'm Lee. I'm an addict. Grateful to be an addict. I live in New Orleans. My clean date is 827.87. And my home group is the Open Mind Group of Narcotics Anonymous Hybrid, Monday nights. Thanks, Lee. What's happening, Paul? Hey, Douglas. I'm Paul M. I'm an addict. My clean date is January 6, 1995, 10,000 days clean today. And I live in New Orleans, Louisiana, and my home group is Open Mind as well. 10,000 days. 10, 000, that, that's a new key tag. That's a new key tag. I believe. <laughs> Someone's sending me it. <laughs> Weird night. All right. Thanks, Paul. What's up, Brian? Hello, everyone. My name is Brian. I'm an addict. My clean date is November 18th, 2019. I attend meetings in southwestern Pennsylvania, and my home group is the Sunday morning literature meeting of NA. Thanks, Brian. And our guest this evening, David O. What's up, Dave? Hello. My name is David O. My clean date is January 21st, 2018. I attend meetings in Southwest Pennsylvania, and my home group is Hugs Not Drugs, Wednesday night. All right, thanks, David. I'm an addict. Name's Douglas. I got clean March 12th, 2000 in Southwestern PA, and I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, folks, here we go. We're going to get started. Living Clean Study for the Anonymous Podcast, episode 45, page 155. At the bottom, miracles do happen. Jennifer's going to facilitate. Take it away, Jen. 
Thanks, Douglas. Uh, Brian's going to start us out. Brian, you just read that last paragraph in this section, please. Sure, Jennifer. Thanks. Miracles do happen, and we are not only not the only ones who experience healing. Sometimes reconciliation is possible, but not necessarily on our schedule or on our terms. We practice forgiveness, patience, and acceptance. We must give time, time even if it's a lifetime. In the meantime, we are surrounded by people who believe in us and care for us. And if we pay attention, there is always someone who needs our help. We can turn the love we feel towards those who welcome it, building and cherishing the relationships that are present in our lives today. And, um, you know, my experience, you know, with all the, the living amends that I had to make to people, you know, all, all of them were really accepted, you know, really accepted it. And, um, you know, so I'm not really working right now you know, to try to, you know, reconcile anything, you know, but um, I'm, I'm thankful for that, by, by the way. But, uh, you know, what I think about now is where it talks about the relationships that we have today and how we can cherish them and how we can, you know, develop them and, and how much that means to my life today. And uh, something that my sponsor and I and a couple other uh, recovering addicts have been doing is like a daily affirmation text. And, and that's been big for me, like since I've been asked to join up and uh, relationships are always something that I think about, like that I'm grateful for, um, you know, just just to have someone pick up the phone and answer the phone and, and, you know, give me their experience. And, you know, I always try to make myself available to the newcomer. And, you know, sometimes it can just be the things that you share in a meeting, you know, not only for the newcomer, but there could be someone with time in a meeting, you know, that can they can learn from just a little bit of two and a half years of experience that I have. And, um, you know, I never had those relationships like, like I had, um, you know, active addiction. It was always, you know, like we talk about transactional, you know, if you didn't have what I, what I wanted, or I didn't have what you wanted, you know, we weren't hanging out, but today it's so much different. You know, everyone in my life is really supportive and, you know, I try to be the same back. But uh, yeah, that's my take on that. I'll pass. Thanks, Brian. And uh, so now we're going to go next into romantic relationships. Um, Eva, do you want to read the first two paragraphs for us? I would love to. <clears throat> Excuse me. Romantic relationships. The basic test offers a suggestion about romantic relationships, that we begin by writing about what we want, what we are asking for, and what we are getting. When we explore these simple questions, we begin to see how we could use this, the tools of recovery to change our behavior and experience uh, and our experience of intimacy. We learn to check our motives and to be honest about what we want. We begin to get free of our old baggage and experience relationships in present tense. Practicing principles like honesty, courage, and faith opens us, up, opens us to the possibility of love, acceptance, and trust in our lives, what we want. We often hear that if we made a list for ourselves in early recovery of what we wanted, we would be selling ourselves short. It's not just in the beginning that, <clears throat> that this is true. Over and over, our dreams for ourselves are glimpses of God's will, not a roadmap. Many of us have found in this in our romances as well. We take the project of finding a partner in much the same way 
we might shop for a new car. We make a list of the features we want or don't want. We begin evaluating available models based on our list. We may be surprised on finding the ones who seem to meet our criteria when things still don't work out as we have planned. Just those two. <clears throat> so um, it's so funny when I, early in recovery, what I wanted in, in a romantic relationship isn't really what I wanted after a few years clean. So that wasn't really on the table, but um, when I did start looking for a long-term romantic relationship, I made a list of what I wanted and I, and, and I got the total opposite because <laughs> God's will for me is way different. I think sometimes than what I, when I think I want, you know, I wanted a dude with a motorcycle for sure. That was like number one on my list or maybe number two, he had to have a job and then he had to have a motorcycle. Um, <laughs> cause I didn't want to pay for his motorcycle. I wanted to just ride on the back. And um, for everybody who knows my husband, maybe you know that he doesn't have a motorcycle, never has, and I don't know that he ever will, um, but he had a job, so there's that. Um, but what I, what the list I made was uh, all these things and, you know, honesty and I didn't want him to hit me. That was in there, like, I mean, how basic of a need, right? Um, I didn't want him to yell at me and call me names. Um, but what I had to do when I first started dating this dude that was really super nice, I had to figure out how to not do those things because that's all I'd ever done. And that's all I ever knew was to yell and scream when we when we got into an argument to call names and to do things like that. And um, if I wanted to get those things, I had to become those things. That's what my sponsor said. She said, when you make that list, you practice those principles and then those those things will come to you in a man or they won't but it won't matter because you'll be okay with you <laughs> and i was like this sounds dumb <laughs> like all i wanted was to do it i wasn't trying to get all perfect um i didn't think it was going to happen like that but that's exactly what happened you know as soon as i started practicing honesty courage faith um things like that um integrity, then um, that kind of man showed up and, and, you know, I'm really, I'm really one of the very blessed ones that has a man like that in, in my life. And, um, and, and he wasn't like the first guy I ever dated in Narcotics Anonymous, let me tell you, he's not even, he's not even an addict. Like, I, like, there's only room for one addict in my house. And that's me. There's only room for this ego. So um, that's something I'm still working on. But yeah, that's all I got on that. Thanks. Thanks, Eva. All right, Paul, do you want to read the next two paragraphs for us? I absolutely do not. I hate this section, but we'll go. I'll go ahead anyway. Here we go. Uh, our sponsor might suggest turning that list back on ourselves, <laughs> Eva, asking what it would take for us to become the person we imagine as our partner. Others might suggest stepping away from such a list altogether, thinking instead about what would constitute a relationship we would like to be in. Some of us are masters of projection. By the time we go on a first date with someone, oh, a date, that would be interesting. We had already imagined the whole relationship from steamy beginning to bitter divorce. Allowing ourselves to be present 
means that we can have a relationship with a person rather than a fantasy. Learning to live in the moment frees us to enjoy ourselves. Applying skills like communication and active listening, practicing principles like unity, compassion, and sharing, we can learn to use the tools we need to be in a solid relationship long before we are actually there. These behaviors don't just make us more likely to get what we want, they also make us happier and more fulfilled where we are. There is so much in the way of our ability to have the kind of relationships we want. Fear, selfishness, reservations, the, the belief that it will just end badly. The more we take inventory, the more clearly we see obstacles inside ourselves that stand between us and what we want. We, make, we may uh, mistake our impulsiveness for intuition and imagine that we have fallen in love as soon as we get excited. Or we might resist feeling at all. Not wanting to risk our hearts means that we'll never get uh, really get full. As we learn to open up, we also learn to survive being hurt. Strangely, as it gets easier to withstand that kind of hurt, it seems to happen less often. We choose better, come into relationships a little more cautiously, and learn to recognize and address signs of difficulty much sooner. Healthy relationships begin to replace the chaos that has consumed our lives. Sometimes we miss the chaos. Living without the drama and clutter of active addiction is strange. We may be compelled to create drama in recovery just so it feels familiar. Oh, yes. Um, my, my first uh foray when i first got clean was this guy i met and i was like this is the one this is at about nine months clean it was a gift from god because i had stayed clean for nine months and this was it i you get this magic thing because you have stayed clean paul and it was wonderful and um and then uh and then i and then i was kissing him one night and i tasted the alcohol on his on his mouth. And I thought, how close to this relapse do you want to get? And uh, that's the problem is my picker's broken. It's not just that I'm broken, my picker's broken. And um, I think that's pretty common for people when they get clean. And I have had that, that problem throughout recovery. Uh, the, the, the most successful romantic relationship um, was with this guy and um he went back out and i tried to get him help him get clean again and tried to get back out and then he moved in with me and he stayed clean for a while and then i couldn't take it anymore and, and i shipped him back to uh where he was from and uh and a year a year later he was he was dead from an overdose so that's my most successful so i guess i won't comment too much when we started this i ran and got my my uh, notebook to see I have made a list of the things that I want in a relationship. And um, the good news is none of it is is temporal. None of it is things things. It's it's spiritual principles now. Right. I want kindness. I want somebody who's fun. You know what I mean? Who has a has a generous heart. I want somebody like that. It's not, it's not stuff anymore. Um, and that's purely from hanging out with y'all. That is not in my nature. Um, 
So, because here's, here's the biggest thing. And I, I think this is a male thing sometimes is I get attracted to the bright and shiny. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I get attracted to the bright and shiny and, uh, yeah. And so I have to be careful with that. My, uh, my friend just, uh, chat, put it in the chat. Did I say fun or hung? I said, fun, fun. Although the other one's not bad either. Thanks for letting me share. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Lisa, go ahead. Um, so I'm going to get sort of deep on this for a hot second here. So, um, you know, this, this area of recovery for me, um, has sort of been a hurt piece, man. Cause like, you know, my relationships have changed so drastically over the last few years, but I'm a really poor example of like not getting into a relationship in the first year. Um, like I got clean in February. Um, I met a boy in April and like three weeks later, I moved in with him two years later, we were married because like when I first got clean, right. Um, I thought like, this is what people do, right. This is social acceptability, right. People get married and have kids and buy houses and all of that shit. Right. Um, fast forward five years later, we're divorced. Um, you know, and I realize now because, um, the reason, the main reason we're divorced on top of a bunch of other things, um, is, you know, because I had an affair in my marriage with six years clean, you know, um, and I had to take a look at that and make some like really, um, heavy wholesale changes in my life because there were some other situations, um, you know, I've shared on the podcast before that I've had like infertility issues and things like that. Um, and he traveled a lot for work and he was also a drinker and I'm not here to like take his inventory, you know, he's not a bad human. Um, but I, I got into that relationship before I even knew who I was as a person, um, what I needed versus what I wanted or what I thought I wanted. Um, and I didn't know, I didn't give myself any space to figure out who I was going to become. Um, and it, it just came to be that like those spiritual things that Paul's talking about on that list, man, like we didn't grow along the same spiritual lines. Um, and you know, that, that oppression of like my inner spiritual self and that relationship ultimately led me to feelings of like really deep inadequacy. And, you know, like this talks about practicing skills like communication and active listening and unity and compassion and all that stuff. Um, you know, I didn't do a lot of that stuff in my relationship. And I realized by putting that, that situation through some steps, um, that I was actually an extremely and emotionally unavailable person, right? I was not vulnerable in that relationship. I was not vulnerable about my feelings before I acted out on them. Um, you know, and I've learned that I do this thing sometimes where, um, you know, in the past, I was very guilty of falling in love with what I thought a person could be right? Like the good that I thought I saw in a person, um, instead of looking at what that person was actually showing me about who they were, um, you know, and it, this talks a little bit about like becoming, it's sort of like attraction rather than promotion, right? Instead of talking about what I want in another person, I'm going to become that. Um, and naturally like the people that I was attracting were drawn to the chaos and now the people that I'm attracting are drawn to like the light of recovery that is in my life. Um, and, you know, like after my divorce, I had come to this 
um, really difficult place where I was sort of resigned to like, okay, I'm, you know, 28, 29, divorced, um, can't have kids, never going to have a family. Maybe it's not for me. Maybe I'm just going to, you know, throw my whole entire life into like sponsorship and serving NA and work. Um, you know, and then like God laughed at me and said, you know, here's a dude um, in the rooms with a program who has two kids, you know, and like I get to do mom things now. And we have this really um, interesting relationship now because this is the first person I've ever dated in the rooms. Um, we're like in this like really neat domestic partnership type deal, very committed. Um, it's very secure. And, um, you know, we do these things. Um, and I found myself like really pushing hard to be more vulnerable in this relationship and really say the things that I feel, but sometimes there's still that fear of like, Oh, when is this thing going to be too much, right? When is this going to scare him off? Or when is my, when are my emotions going to be too big? Um, and you know, it hasn't happened yet. And every time I do open up a little bit more about those things, it gets easier to like, not let it stew for two or three days before I let it out. Right. I can talk about what I'm feeling in the moment instead of like copying resentments over it. Um, you know, and this this passage is right. Like it does make me feel more happy and more fulfilled, um, you know, but it also it also presents with its own unique challenges. But, um, you know, talking about like, you know, living without the drama and, and the clutter, it is really strange to come into this relationship. They say that like the hardest one to have is the healthy one after all the toxic ones. Right. Um, and it can be really uncomfortable, but, you know, for me, it's also, um, you know, extremely rewarding on, on multiple levels and that intimacy piece, you know, when I first came in, I, I often mistook intimacy for just physical intimacy, you know, but today I've got some emotional intimacy. I've got spiritual intimacy. I have a partner who challenges me intellectually, um, and honestly, that's, that's a gift that, you know, this program and that you guys have given me, but that's all I got. Thanks, Lisa. Lee. Hey, thanks, Jennifer. Um, this has been some really good sharing. And um, <clears throat> the part where I said living without the drama and the clutter of active addiction is strange. And it made me remember uh, I had, I had 120 something days, I think. And we used to have this place up on Barone in Constantinople. And a woman came in the meeting and the meeting kind of looked about her and she came through the whole meeting and she sat at my feet. And at 120 days, I was thinking, Doug, man, this program really works, you know? Um, and I say that jokingly and, and probably that was my first attempt at a romantic relationship in recovery. And I had been suggested to stay out of romantic relationships when I got here. Um, and her and I literally tore the fellowship up for about four years and married, got married and divorced. Um, and and what, what I learned through that insane experience was that the peripheral relationships, the sponsorship, the, the sponsees, the friendships, the people I would go out to coffee with, I became the byproduct of all of the peripheral relationships, unknowingly, completely unknowingly at the time. And that was the first, after four years, about four years, 91, was the first time I took a year to try to work on myself. And almost a year to the date, 
of of not having uh, physical contact with a woman or or sex or fixing or nothing. I met a woman at a at a World Service conference, but she wasn't one of us. She was at another conference at the same hotel, and, and I think that was probably my first experience with real love. Um, and and it had the qualities, even though at the time I still wasn't aware of it. It had the qualities, the principles, the unity, the communication, the honesty, the courage. It had all of those components, and it and it lasted for about four and a half years. Um, and it set me it it opened me up, and it set me on a path where I was able to better see the qualities that I was that NA was giving me that you guys were, and Paul said it, it's by the grace of y'all. Um, I was better able to see those even at the end of it. And it didn't work out because I probably would have married her and tried to live happily ever after because I thought the same way uh, as Lisa did. I thought, you know, you get married, you have kids and you, you buy a house and you get a picket fence, that kind of whole routine. Um, but that wasn't, that wasn't how it worked out. <laughs> but but even though it didn't work out and I went through the painful part that it talked about in here, which I thought was very, very good. I can't find it right now. And it, it was, it was something to build on to. And so I'm still, I'm still a work in progress, Barb, not an expert. I was joking before we started. Um, and that's enough out of me. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. Um, I appreciate both of you bringing up, you know, the social norm of thinking, you know, the white picket fence, the house, the, you know what I mean, all that other stuff. And this line here where it says, <clears throat> allowing ourselves to be present means that we can have a relationship with a person rather than a fantasy, you know, and, and I stepped into a marriage based on a fantasy and a social norm that that's what you do. That's you get married, you have 2.5 kids, you have a cat, you have a dog. And I did a lot of that, you know, um, I, I have three kids. I, I was married for a long time and, and, <clears throat> but it was always based on what I desired and not what I was actually doing or what I thought was the right thing to do versus, and it wasn't like that in the beginning, but I can say that <clears throat> Early in my recovery, you know, it talked about it in, in the last par paragraph where it says, you know, the list for ourselves that we made for an earlier recovery, we would have sold ourselves short. And I sold myself short. And you know what? That's just the lesson that I had to learn in the process. But what happened for me today <clears throat> or what happens for me today is now I can be present. Like what I'm doing in my life today is not on some, some fictional thing that I make up in my head that isn't necessarily true. But it really, you know, Narcotics Anonymous has given me that gift of being present, you know, and, and once I stopped and was present in the moment and where I needed to be, <clears throat> you know, especially in my marriage, you know, that was not where I was supposed to be, you know, and, and I made a decision and, and I changed that, I changed that. What, what, what piece of it and what I've learned, and I think the, le the biggest lesson for me today in that is, is that, um, you know, in, in the process of, of going through um, all of the years of being married, I had to work really hard on myself to really figure out who I was and what I wanted. And, and while it, you know, was a painful process, that pain brought me to the place where I'm at today, which is 
I know who I am. I know what I want. I know where I'm going, at least for the moment. You know, I'm present in that moment. Um, and I'm kind of open to whatever, you know, and, um, and I'm not stuck on some social norm or something that my mom beat into me when I was growing up that I needed to, to be married, to be complete, you know, or to be, um, you know, to do it the right way, whatever that is. I don't even think there's a right way anymore, but that piece for me and, and, and especially in, in my step work was really, um, you know, it used to be really overwhelming and it was something that I didn't want to see or I didn't want to feel. And, um, but the lessons that I learned throughout my marriage and, and where, it, where it took me is, you know, you know, when, when people ask me today, how I am, you know, I used to just say, Oh, like, I'm okay. Or whatever. Like for like quite a while now, like, how are you? I'm fucking fantastic, you know, and that's my truth today. And, and I'm aware that that could change at any moment, but I'm living in fantastic right now, you know? And, um, and that's, that's the piece for me is that it took what it took to get here. Um, and while it wasn't, um, always fun, you know, um, you know, I don't have to live in that fantasy anymore. And, um, and I'm pretty grateful for that. So, um, Casey, do you want to read, uh, introduce yourself and read the next two paragraphs for us? Sure. Thanks, Jen. Uh, my name is Casey. I'm an addict. Uh, my apologies for being late. I had an amends that needed to be taken care of. So uh, my clean date is 930 of 2013. I attend meetings in Salem, Oregon, and my home group is the Tuesday, Thursday of West Salem Recovery. Um, okay. Now back to the book. I didn't want to come. I didn't want to come, but I remember Paul saying a couple of weeks ago that he was in the same situation. So here I be. All right. Don't get into romantic relationships in your first year might be the most repeated, least listened to piece of advice in the fellowship. We need time to get our feet on the ground to build support, to work some steps and to figure out who we are. But many of us don't take that time in the beginning. This is like building a house without laying a foundation. Sooner or later, that work needs to get done. And it's a lot easier to do in the beginning than to try to do try to build a foundation under a standing structure. Many of us who don't take that time in the beginning find that we need it later. If we survive the first breakup clean, we have a pretty good idea of what that time is for. Not all of us take a first year, a full year, and some of us take much more time before we start dating. We may find that we are happier and more serene when we are single and choose to stay that way. Once we figure out that there is nothing to be afraid of and no one, no one right answer, we can answer the big question for ourselves and know we can always change our mind later if we choose to. Uh, I was not one of those people who um, took that advice. I uh, jumped into a ton of relationships my first year. Um, uh, I don't think it was until, I don't know, year three that I actually decided that I was miserable enough in my recovery, continuing to do the same thing, continuing to, to seek those relationships to fill this void that was inside of me. Um, that's what I did, right? When I got clean, I had this hole that, that needed to be filled and I knew I couldn't fill it with drugs anymore. And so my second best, best choice was to fill it with relationships and those fantasies that we talk about. And that's what I did for a really long time. Uh, but by year three, I was miserable enough as a parent. I was miserable enough in my own life that um, I heeded that, that suggestion. And I stayed single and um, 
And I spent that time getting to know who I was, um, getting to know what I wanted, um, getting to know the things that I was willing to compromise and the things that I was unwilling to compromise. And I'm grateful for that time. You know, just like Jen said, it took what it took to get where I got. Um, but I really, um, I really value the time that I spent doing that. You know, I've, I'm still single. I've been single since I think year three or four. And, um, you know, today I'm still single. I don't know if it's by choice. I sometimes feel like I'm just too comfortable being on my own that I don't know that I would want to be in a relationship, but that's not accurate. I just, um, you know, I have a lot of things that I did in past relationships that I compromised that I didn't necessarily want to compromise, but I compromised because of whatever, right? Like I thought it was love or whatever the case may be. And, and those things I'm not real willing to compromise today. And so I'm not willing to settle for, for those things. You know, my sponsor had me make a list of things that I valued in a relationship, um, things that I wanted out of a relationship. And then I've just strived to be those things, right? It's been said time and time again, that if you start working on those things within yourself, you start attracting those things to your own life. And so that's kind of where, uh, where I am you know, sometimes I wish that I would have done it sooner, but, um, I don't know it, 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 this is this, the path that I took. And today I am confident that when that time comes, if I opt to be in a relationship that I have gained the tools to be the best representation of myself, the authentic self, um, I don't worry today that I'm going to get in a relationship and become this completely different person. I'm going to come into a relationship and I'm going to be me and I'm going to be okay with that. No matter what, what happens in that relationship, I'm going to be good. So that's it. Thanks, Casey. David. My name is David. I'm an addict. Um, yeah, this paragraph really hit with me, but this whole section so far has been really good. Uh, I didn't take that suggestion either. You know, I, I had a, the, the seed plant was planted for me in 2012. And at that time, like I just wasn't ready. Uh, and then I come back at the in the two late later half of 2016, and uh, I kept coming to meetings, but I couldn't stay clean. I could put periods of abstinence together, uh, and I never like uh, bought into all the suggestions and the step work. Where I had gotten into a relationship in this time, and uh, you know she had gotten pregnant, and. Um, the last time I used it, it was closer to my my daughter's birthday. I can remember thinking like I I don't want my daughter to see me this way, and uh, it didn't get me out of the relationship because I had such a fear that something would happen to the baby during the pregnancy that um, I stayed way past the expiration date. But I honestly feel like I did the best I could at the time. Now through working the steps, I was able to uh, you know learn the spiritual principles to get out of it health healthily and. Uh, you know, I was able to gain custody of my daughter and, and me and the mother still have a, a good relationship today for that, for, for my daughter. You know, it, it's a process. It, it takes effort, communication, but uh, like I still struggle with romantic re relationships. I have uh, um, the disease that uses that against me to tear me down because I don't have that in my life. And uh, like, I have to stay talking about it with my sponsor and things. And I've done the list and they're, they're great. Uh, but really, like I look, I look for God. I was able to, you know, I've dated a few times and things didn't work out. You know, I'm able to like use those experiences and like see how 
you know, I can keep cleaning up my side of the street and keep making my side of the street, uh, you know, keep growing from it. Uh, Cause I've been, in, I've been in them where I'm stuck on like taking the other person's inventory and all that. And like, I've been through like God's God centered, you know, put God in the middle of it and uh, you know, God's will will be done. And um, you know, right now I just think it's like his, his will for me is like be present for myself, my daughter, my recovery, and like let the other things fall in place because like, because of that desire that I want so bad, like it just, it just doesn't end up working out. Uh, so like I put trust in, in God today and like, hopefully it, it will amount. Uh, you know, I was told in the beginning that like, relationships can be a, ter a terribly painful area, but that's can be, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a painful area, you know, uh, unfortunately for me, like I learned from pain, so I'll stay stuck in that pain long enough. This last one though, where I seen the growth was, is like four or five months in, we realized we weren't really clicking and it was like, all right, it's time to back out of this. Like it's best you go on, it's best I go on. You know, we don't need to tear each other down continuously. Uh, but yeah, thanks for everyone sharing. Thanks for having me. It's I'll pass. Thanks, David. Barb, jump on in. Thanks, Jen. I'm Barb, an addict. And um, I was like Paul. When, when he said he didn't want to read, I was too. <laughs> and a few things went through through my mind. My mom used to always say, I got a sister and me and her that we were spook magnets. <laughs> you know, and I think that was true, you know. And I remember my first sponsor telling me, because I always like bad boys, and I remember her telling me, there'll come a day when you won't like bad boys anymore. Well, guess what? She was wrong. Usually they're right about everything, but I still gravitate towards, you know, the bad guys. But I can relate to this about coming in. When I came in, I was five months pregnant, barefoot, Hurricane Opal was blowing in, and I needed, I needed, I was scared, and I needed somebody to rescue me you know, and because I came from the streets, that's what I always did. And I found somebody to rescue me. And we complimented each other in that he was a rescuer. He got his fix from, you know, fixing women, helping women. And I got mine from uh, using, you know, using people, you know. So, and we stayed together um, till Nick was about three and a half years old. And he stayed in Nick's life. This guy was in recovery. And he stayed in Nick's life and Nick calls him dad. Well, he's died now. He just died in the last couple of years. But so he was very, you know, I used to always say, oh, he, he, HP didn't bring him for me. He brought him for Nick, <laughs> you know. But anyway, you know, a few things transpired in that time. What I realized, I remember in New Orleans when I was getting clean, there was a guy and I can't even tell you his name outside of meeting. And he said, everybody needs to live alone a year, at least a year in recovery alone, you know. And he said, really five years, but a year, you know, and I came to realize that when, when um, later on down the road in recovery, but at three and a half years, something told me that I needed to get out of this relationship, you know, because it wasn't healthy. You know, I didn't love this guy. I didn't grieve the toxic relationship I was in before, you know, so I did. And, and what I learned when I did that is um, my, my recovery took off at three and a half years because, because I was a woman, I, it was, I needed to be self-sufficient. I needed to pay my own bills. I needed to make my own decisions and I needed to be on my own and raise my son. And what that did for me was just opened up recovery. You know, when I did that, you know, and, um, and I, I got back in school, went to school, you know, so um, that was a valuable lesson for me. And I can remember years later telling my friends, oh, I'm alone, I'm alone, because I have Nick, you know, and they'd be like, no, you're not alone yet. 
And when Nick left, my son, then those words really became true. I knew what they meant, what that guy meant. And I've never forgot that. You know, you hear stuff sometimes in recovery. And it's like, oh, yeah, now I know. But I, I came to know what he was talking about when Nick left and I was alone. And it was me and HP and me and my shit, you know. And, um, you know, I, I've stayed alone. I could relate to Casey so much. I've stayed alone for a lot of years. What, what I learned about myself through the steps and through a couple early tries in recovery is that um, I'm not relationship material. My mom was got to have a man, got to have a man. And I hated that shit, you know, when I was a kid. And so I went to don't need a man at all. You know, I might have went, I went to the other extreme. But, um, you know, I'm just too selfish. I realized early on in, re in recovery, I'm too selfish and self-centered. I will work on a friendship. I will work on my relationship with my son. But it's not that important to me, the couple relationships I got into to work on um, with, an, with a significant other, you know. So, um, you know, and, and I did a lot of damage. I participated in a lot of damage to myself from the streets and from at an early age, you know, running away, having sex at 14. You know, and it's taken a long time for me to heal. I just bought a new car. And it's interesting in that where the lessons come from. I, I chose to have this other car. It had 199,000 miles. It was a Nissan Sentra 2004. And I would, um, I was trying to get through this environment now and get where it was a healthier buying environment, but the car gave out on me. It didn't do that. But what I would realize with this car towards the end, especially is I would pull up and I would want to be embarrassed to be in this car, you know, and I would tell myself, Barb, it ain't what you're driving. You know, it's, it's about you getting your self-esteem from yourself and from HP, you know, so that car was such a gift that when I'd have those times, those doubts, I could say, okay, HP, you know, and I could, I could, and you know what, the car I got now, I, I planned the car I got now. I, I paid 21,000 cash money on a car. You know how long it took, it took me years to save that money, to plan, to buy that car. But that is a gift of recovery because you guys told me, make my bed, get up, make my bed every morning. You told me, get a sponsor. I got a sponsor. I call that sponsor every day, today. That gave me the discipline. You guys teach me. I learned from my mistakes. I, I filed bankruptcy in 2007. That's no longer an option. I have to be responsible. I, my first car, I got financed. Rip off. I'm not giving anybody $4,000. So what I did was um, said, I'm going to save the money. And I walked into that place. Do you know how good that made me feel after dri driving that car with 199,000 miles and telling myself, okay, HP, it's you and me. You know, this isn't going to determine my worth, but it, it hyped me up a little bit when I walked in there and had 21,000 cash money. And I said, I will take my 21,000 cash money and go to Subaru. You know, this is what I'm willing to pay, you know, and, and that was, you know, it's things like that, that I get in recovery. And you guys taught me about not that, not having that instant gratification with them chips, you know, so I could sit and save that money, take years to save that money to do that. And it's things like that, esteemable deeds that give me esteem, not the car I'm driving. I love this car. It's nice, but I need to remember, you know, material shit, I'll get wrapped around the axle, but it's not going to make me feel good in here, you know? So I am so grateful to be in recovery. And um, I'm so grateful today that, that I like Barb. It's been a long, slow journey for me to um, come to terms with a lot of my healing, a lot of my stuff as a woman. And, um, and to like Barb and to know Barb, 
you know, but today, today I do. And, and it's, it's pretty awesome. So I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be clean and to have this way to live. Thanks. Thanks, Barb. There's one little piece of, of the last sentence in here that says, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of and no one right answer. And I think in listening to, you know, all of us on this podcast, like everybody's experience is different and we all have a common goal, but it's so beautiful to listen to everybody and where they are in their life and, and where we, <clears throat> where we're going or, you know, what our past is like. And, and uh, so I just wanted to share that, like that really hit home for me, you know, uh, there's no one right answer here. You know what I mean? We, we get clean, you know, Douglas says it all the time, you know, uh, <clears throat> abstinence and 12 steps, right? That's where we start. And then our journey begins from there. There's no one right answer. So um, let's see, David, you want to read the next two paragraphs for us? Yes. Uh, we want a magic formula that will make relationships okay. A year, three years, a fifth step, a round of steps. The truth is much simpler, but harder to define. Some of us are never ready and struggle all our lives. We know members who are uh, scholars of our principles, but we have many failed marriages behind them. We also see newcomers stumble into relationships and somehow make it work. When it works, we are happy to take the drama and clutter of active addiction and is strange may be compelled to create oh sorry i flipped the wrong page i'm online uh take the credit when it doesn't work we try to understand why there are always lessons experiences what we get when we don't get what we want but some lessons are so clear that we don't have to act out to learn them with practice we develop personal responsibility accountability and discernment Mostly we know when we are doing something wrong, taking advantage of someone who is vulnerable, being controlling, deceptive, or abusive, and we have a responsibility to ourselves as, as well as to the other person to stop it. It can be hard to admit, but the times when we most desire to be in a relationship are the are often the, the moments when we are least equipped to handle one. So many of this of us struggle with the fear that we will never have a partner and that not having a life partner means we will always be alone. This kind of fear leads to panic and to pain. When we are lonely, sad, or trying to distract ourselves, we may be willing to settle for things that we're, we are, that are not actually what we want in the long term. When our priority is simply not being alone, we are likely to compromise our values or our priorities to, to commit too quickly to a person we are just getting to know. There's an old saying, be careful what you pray for. You might get it. I really like that part, uh, you know, because I feel like that's like what I've been going through over the last year, like forcing it a little bit, uh and um yeah i've been told that before be careful what you pray for like patience and and uh you know in a, in a and you'll get in a long line at a grocery store but um there's a there's a lot of good stuff in there and i feel like that's been basically my, my last year wrapped up you know after the relationship with my daughter's mother i took a year not alone but like 
I had my daughter and moved in with my parents and uh, I just wanted to work on my recovery and, and uh, be patient. I didn't date anyone for that whole year. And when I did, I put the Superman cape on and, you know, try to reel in the newcomer. And uh, that didn't work either. Learned a lesson there. You know, I can't save anybody. I can be there to help and love them and show the love I was given early on. But, uh, you know, uh, that road didn't work for me as well. So I took another time. Uh, then COVID happened. And, uh, you know, that's where I really feel like I'm at. I feel like my priority is that, like, I don't want to be alone, but I also don't want to force something that's not right. Um, and really, I'm never alone. That's the deal. I'm never alone. I always have my higher power. And uh, God's always there for me. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, David. Lisa. Um, so I really like that top paragraph that um, David just read, especially the piece where it says, like, mostly we know when we are doing something wrong. Um, and it talks about, like, recognizing um, those less than savory things that we do in relationships um, and that responsibility to ourselves as well as to the other person to stop it. Um, you know, you guys are talking about like living alone and single in recovery. And, you know, after I left my ex-husband, I did live alone, um, for about 18 months. Um, you know, I told my, my current partner, I wasn't moving anywhere until I was done with my master's degree. And that required me to stay where I was, um, you know, cause that was a commitment that I had made to myself. But during that time, I had a lot of time to take a look at some of those things in myself, um, again, in that inventory, um, and, you know, one of the really interesting things about this process with respect to relationships for me is seeing, um, you know, I can be um, very controlling in relationships. I can be, um, you know, kind of demanding. I can come to the table with a lot of um, self-centeredness. Um, I can come to the table with a lot of expectations that are unrealistic because I've got unrealistic expectations for myself and I expect myself out of people. Um, and I think one of the greatest things that that whole process taught me was, um, you know, how to like not be such a perfectionist in my, in myself. Right. Um, you know, I think some of the like trauma and stuff in my past kind of taught me that, you know, I needed to make my needs smaller or put my needs in a smaller box or make myself perfect so that I could be like worthy of love as if I had to like earn my spot here somehow. Um, you know, and I've learned how to, like take up space in the world and how to be okay with, you know, like reconciling some of those character defects. But, you know, I have a responsibility now to like, to not do those things anymore. The great thing about my partner is that like, now I don't get away with them the same way that I did because it's like being in a relationship with someone else who has solid recovery, which we keep very separate from each other, you know, his program and mine. Um, but like he, being with him pushes me to like kind of level up in that way. Um, cause again, I, I'm accountable to him. Cause like he, he knows the principles that like I'm trying to live by. Um, he knows what the program teaches us. And there's moments where like, I recognize, um, you know, Hey, that temper tantrum thing isn't going to work. Cause he knows like he's read that book before, you know, um, which is, which is really, um, you know, very cool. And I think, I think for me, like, I love that part about like the time when we most desire to be in a relationship is probably the time we're least equipped. That's, that reminds me of like the days I don't want to go to a meeting or the days that I need it the most. Right. Um, and I think for me, it's just about like, I'm not using those relationships to fill those voids or to like validate myself with anything outside of me. 
um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Lisa. Eva. So this line where it says, when we are lonely, sad, or trying to distract ourselves, we may be willing to settle for things that we're not actually what we want in the long term. And um, I'm going to say you don't have to be single to feel those feelings, that you can be in a relationship and feel those feelings. You can have a lot of clean time and feel those feelings. Um, just, uh, I know when my life kind of imploded at several years clean, 14 years clean, I, uh, I had an affair in my marriage, um, trying to distract myself from things that I was unable to control. And, um, you know, getting back to the basics um, of recovery is the only thing probably that saved my life and my marriage in that. Um, you know, I mean, I'm never too far from that next mistake if I get out of practice, whether, not even mistake, just bad behavior, character defect, whatever you want to call it. I'm not too far from it ever. Like one thing can tip a scale for me as an addict. It just really depends upon where I'm at in my program. If I'm doing all the things, if I'm going to a meeting and I'm talking to my sponsor every day and I'm doing my step work, you know, then it's not as easy to tip that scale. But it doesn't mean that one horrific thing or maybe even one little thing, because you don't realize all the little things that are adding up won't tip that scale. So um, I was caught way off guard. You know, I really, I really wasn't doing all the things that I was supposed to be doing was what it comes down to. That's just the truth of it. And um, but I didn't even realize it. Like I was still going to meetings. So, you know, I talked to my sponsor. I was slowly working steps. That's what I told myself when I wasn't really working steps. What I was doing was sitting on steps. You know what I'm saying? I, and as, as long as I'm sitting on a step, I'm not going anywhere. When I'm standing still, I'm always going backwards. That's what they say, right? If I'm not moving forward, I'm going backwards. And so, um, but also what I can say is that I stayed clean through that. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy, you know, but I, I do it hard. It, it doesn't matter how hard it gets. Some days are going to be really fucking hard. And um, a lot of things that I learned from that was, uh, you know, things that I, I wasn't doing right in my relationship. So then I started seeking outside stuff. So, um, so I'm going to say in that paragraph, in that sentence, I know that it, it doesn't only, that doesn't only mean if you're alone, being lonely doesn't always mean alone. Thanks. Thanks, Eva. Um, I was going to say something very in the similar vein of feeling and being very alone in a, in a relationship. It, it you know, that's, that's my story. <clears throat> and I had a lot of years clean and, um, what it pushed me to do. And I think probably was the most important thing was, um, it, it, it constantly pushed me to do better, you know, cause I, I thought, well, my first thought was really, um, 
you know, if I do the work on me, if I do the work on me, everything will get better. Everything will get better. I'll, I'll fix it. I'll manage it. I'll control it. And then I realized that I just had to do the work on me and become the person that I was meant to be. And so <clears throat> this piece here um, and this, you know, talking about, you know, we develop personal responsibility, accountability, and discernment, you know, and discernment take, took me a long time to realize that, you know, um, it took me a long time in my marriage to figure that out. And, 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 and what I know when I, when I look at, at, you know, 17 year old Jennifer that got clean, um, and bounced in here with zero living skills. And then I look at 22 year old Jennifer that, you know, got married in recovery, you know, to someone in recovery, you know, there's a huge, you know, huge, um, gap to, you know, now, I mean, for almost 47 year old, year old Jennifer. And, um, my, my, my journey in that, you know, when I look back at my life, I used to look at like, oh, I, I wasted all this time and being with this person and doing this, but what, but what it's really turned out for me is this really beautiful gift of really figuring out who I am, where I'm going, what, you know what I mean? What I want out of my life. And, and, um, you know, when I take that spin and my perception changes, you know, um, all of a sudden I've been given all of these gifts, you know, and, and I'm so grateful that I, I did the work, you know what I mean? Like there are some days where <clears throat> I really was, you know, lonelier than I had ever been in my life. And, and today, um, and today I learned how to, you know, muddle through that and manage that and, you know, feel like I'm going to crawl out of my skin and it passes, you know, that was the amazing thing. Like if I don't fix it right away, those feelings pass, you know? Um, so, um, with that, um, we've reached the end of this week's podcast. And, um, so I guess this week, if, if you find this resource helpful, you know, please share it, you know, check out the Facebook, um, page, um, you know, the anonymous podcast and, uh, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.